OWS fam, the Sharp Football Analysis Nation. We are back for another episode of Searching for Ceiling. You know the deal by now. We're live every Friday at noon Eastern. Before we get into today, you probably noticed by just my intro, hearing me talk, I am severely under the weather. I don't know, severely, whatever. I'm sick, dude. Uh, and so I'm going to try my best to keep the coughs to a minimum or off <laughs> the microphone. Uh, and we might see me ducking out for a minute to blow my nose. <laughs> so with that <laughs> intro here, uh, we're leaving a week 10 where we were talking a lot about the fact that the median game total was higher than we had seen in some time. And you were likely to need uh, uh, some increase in pointage in raw points to ship GPPs. Fast forward now to week 11, and the median game total is back down to where an area of kind of where we got used to seeing over the previous four or five weeks. So what does that mean from a theoretical perspective, and where do we find ceiling? Welcome to Searching for Ceiling. One week season. There he is, the man, the myth, the legend the rich rebar how are we doing today man we're doing good it's uh you know jury dab i'm i'm sad that you're down and under the weather here uh you know hopefully you start feeling better we gotta we gotta pump you up full of orange juice uh, i know man i know it's like right before the holiday week it's like come on man yeah get it out of your system now before exactly uh, exactly before thanksgiving no rest for the wicked man you know how we do it we are here in them streets how was your week last week before we get into this week? It was solid. Uh, you know, I was uh, mostly in on like a lot of the the plays that got there, but like, you know, definitely had a lot of share of like where the ownership went. You know, I was actually bummed that the, the Amon Ross stuff ended up getting as high as it did through oh, the, yeah. the Jamar Chase back injury stuff, you know, especially um, in high dollar. Yeah. Yeah, because I was, you know, I was high on Amon Ra like early in the week last week, and I was just like honed in on him. So we'll see uh, where we can skate to this week. Yeah, I actually last week I had uh, my first real sweat of the season uh, came in the five fifty five milli. Um, I got up to nineteenth at one point, uh, so we were pushing. I ended up getting fiftieth uh, after some late game stuff, but uh, yeah, it was my real first big sweat of the season. We've had some smaller sweats, but that was in the million. That was exciting. So we're looking to run it back here. I don't know if I'm going to make it into the 444 millie this week. I typically like the higher dollar millies, uh, but that one's a little bit of a stretch and I whiffed on trying to win a seat this week. So uh, we'll see kind of how we handle this week. But talking about this week, dude, um, I mentioned the fact that like our median game totals are are down compared to last week. Um, that was important distinction last week, knowing that the median game totals. And what does that mean? Like the game totals across the slate were higher than we had been used to, which theoretically meant we probably needed to score more points to ship a GPP. We kind of saw that. We did have the outlier week right before that, where um, a single game stack in the Bengals and the Houston Texans, that was two weeks ago, right? Can't even remember. Last week. That was last week. Who did the Houston Texans play? The Buccaneers. The Bucs. That's right. That the, the overstack of that game returned like a 250 score to ship GPPs. But we talked about how we were likely to need more points. Now we move forward to this week. Do we are we still in this realm of like we need we need to score 240 plus? Are we back into the 220s, 230s here? Yeah, I definitely think the latter when you look at just the layout for games that maybe we will see a couple games get there. But uh, we don't we don't have like a lot of those premier game environments uh, this yeah. week. We, we have one that's going to be popular and draw like a ton of ownership across the board. But it's a lot of one sided stuff, um, yeah. which which isn't like the, the greatest, the, the greatest of slates. So let's talk about that. There's there's maybe a secondary in that discussion, probably. Uh, the uh, Cardinals and the Texans. Uh, were you who were you referring oh, that to? That was game? who I was referring to. Okay, cool. <laughs> Let's talk about that one first. Then, what are you seeing from that spot? I'll just kind of give you the floor here. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, we've seen now, like from a game environment stance, though, like the Cardinals getting Kyler Murray back turned out to just be like more of a functional team, right? Like a team that we can count on maybe having more counter punch instead of just getting flooded on the other side. Uh, they had their most yards per play in a game since week three. They scored their most points since week three. Uh, 65% of their offensive yardage came via passing. It was their second highest rate in a game of the season. So with just them having more of a functional passing attack, 
Uh, it gives us more opportunity here for this to be a game and go back and forth. And we had talked about it last week. I mean, this Houston pass defense has not been particularly good. And we did see some of the, the, the touchdown regression go to the wide receivers a little bit. They should have gave up a third touchdown. You know, Mr. Tyler Boyd can squeeze that last one. Uh, but they have been a team that has gotten really leaky. You know, over the past five games, we've seen, you know, Desmond Ritter, Derek Carr, and Baker Mayfield all be QB1s against Houston to go at Joe Burrow, who obviously is in a different tier than those guys. And Kyler Murray is a tier above those first three guys that I rattled off for fantasy football. So with just Kyler Murray being back and being functional, it gives us a pipeline for this game to have more upside than it probably would have. And no disrespect to Josh Dobbs and what he's doing. I don't want to shade the America's favorite quarterback right now. Yeah, yeah, no shade, no shade. Um, that's an interesting too. And, and being living in Arizona, watching the end of that game last week, I was, I was like, are we really pushing for a game-winning field goal, having the inside track to the number one overall pick? And apparently, like the Cardinals are just trying to figure out their way, which I guess makes sense from the from the sense of, hey, we have a new coaching staff, we have new players, let's see what we have moving forward. Uh, but to me, it was a little shocking that they're so easily appears to be so easily uh foregoing a top three overall pick i mean they're still within that discussion now but um with the way that they kind of handled that game environment that game plan um to me that's a good thing for dfs purposes as we talked about uh but it was very very interesting we'll just leave it at that um that this team is <laughs> is, is leaning forward in the way that they are uh but that like we said is a good thing for us uh at least for dfs purposes so when you talk about the presence of Kyler Murray, what he is able to do, the fact that he's he's no longer this like, I'm going to see designed run plays called for him. He's more of an escape artist. And we kind of saw that uh, last week. We talked a lot about that last season when the field was kind of the talk of the town last year, early season DFS was, can I play Kyler Murray naked? It's like, well, he's not getting these designed run plays really anymore he's more of an escapability quarterback that kind of puts him in the um the joe burrow patrick mahomes type tier where yeah they have rushing upside but it's coming from extending the play um mobile in the pocket and being able to get his eyes downfield um so that is not very projectable we'll say from week to week uh, but it does introduce upside to this game environment which is the important piece. We're going to see a lot of ownership from this spot. So are there any interesting guys that are going overlooked or you think that it, there's interesting ways to play this spot? Yeah, I mean, I think you're going to see, you know, the, the core of this game through CJ Stroud, Tank Dell, Devin Singletary, assuming that Damian Pierce doesn't practice again today, who has not practiced all week. Uh, those Three guys with with the Trey McBride bring back kind of be like the most popular uh, approach you see gamers attacking this game. Uh, I think you'll see you know potential pump plays and Michael Wilson and Rondell Moore. Hollywood Brown is probably the most intriguing guy because the narrative around Hollywood Brown, if he catches that touchdown pass that Kyler Murray sailed on him, is probably a lot different than you know coming into this week than where it is now. Now you look on the surface, you're like, oh, he was fourth on the team in targets. Uh, you know, was had what his fifth straight game not going over 50 yards receiving. But there's going to be very few games, I think, where he actually is fourth in that pecking order in targets. Yeah. Um, people will look at, I think, like the overall points allowed that Houston is allowed to wide receivers and maybe be turned off. But we talked about it last week with that game. Like, the, the, it's really weird that Houston has like this great run defense, but they keep giving up rushing touchdowns yeah. to kind of boost their things. And then they have this like kind of shoddy pass defense, but don't give up touchdowns to wide receivers. And I kind of highlight, I was like, I think it's going to reverse. It's going to like this. If they keep giving up this much efficiency to wide receivers, we're going to see a course correction. And like I said, there should have been three receiving touchdowns uh, in yeah. that game. So there is touchdown uh, potential here too, I think for Hollywood. So at his price, I think he's a guy that maybe is just in limbo. Maybe people want to pay down. We don't have a lot of clear pay down receivers this week either. So it might force some, some guys that go to Rondale, go to Michael Wilson to maybe go to Robert Woods. If Noah Brown ends up being out of this game or, you know, anyone gets gross with like Jalen Guyton. Uh, but Ew. we don't have a lot of those great pay down receivers this week. Yeah. And that is gross. We'll just put a, a final cap on that. Jalen Guyton is gross. Uh, anyway, we move on. Uh, we digress. Um, the Kyler Murray is expected to get ownership. Rondell Moore is expected to get ownership. Uh, Trey McBride is expected to be the 
most owned singular player on the slate. Uh, so when we talk about the fact that like there is still a lot of ambiguity and uncertainty with this offense, we have one game sample size of this, how this offense is going to run with Kyler Murray. And while it included a neutral to positive pass rate over expectation, there's no telling kind of how they're viewing this spot. Yes, the matchup does point to the air. But when we look at kind of what we've seen from the Cardinals this season, they have been extremely hit or miss with game planning, with game management. And that Kyler Murray is not singularly going to fix all of that just from being on the field. Like, yes, he helps this offense and he benefits this game environment. But there is a very, very interesting case to be made that the field is expressing more certainty than is available in this spot. How do I see theoretically handling that situation? Well, we could go Kyler Murray doubles. It's very easy to do so and playing with kind of what those pieces are. I think Marquise Brown is a very, very good piece to include. Um, we also saw zero running back targets last week from this Arizona Cardinals defense or from this Arizona Cardinals offense. Um, is that something you expect? I mean, we're looking at historical numbers here. Kyler Murray has never really targeted running backs and tight ends at a high rate, but we saw him target Trey McBride nine times last week. Is this sticky? Is this noise? How do you picture James Conner in particular uh, with a pass game role here? Yeah, we saw this uh, a little bit too with James Conner last year before Kyler got hurt, his splits with him without Kyler. We, he took off for fantasy football after Kyler was injured. Yeah. Uh you know, and, and we, he's only caught three passes since week one anyways. Like Josh Dobbs wasn't targeting him either. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's kind of a problem. It's like this, it's a real good matchup for Houston. Obviously he is like one of those traditional, like in a, in a leverage spot, but like it takes like, you. It, I don't know if we're going to get rushing efficiency and we're going to get receptions. And like, even if we get a touch, like the Joe Mixon scenario, I mean, if we get a touchdown, like, can we get there with James Conner? Yeah. Um, that's kind of the concern I have with going that way. I, Cause I can see how a lot of people can get there. Right. And obviously people will look at the, again, the, just the raw points, a lot of Houston's allowed to running backs, but under the hood, they've been a really great run defense. So yeah, with him not catching a lot of passes, I think it makes it really hard to see like a pass to like a really, uh, tournament, like tournament winning upside and like maybe more, he, he just, if he scores, I think it just wrecks the other guys. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it, it makes the other guys worse instead of making yeah. himself a great play. Yeah. He came back from injured reserve, <laughs> um, played 63% of the offensive snaps, saw 16, 17 opportunities. Can't remember exactly uh, somewhere in there uh, with zero targets. So again, and we're expecting Amari DiMarcato coming back. Is that likely to influence James Conner? Probably not because this team has shown us that they want to use a, 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 unquestioned lead back type setup um we're likely to see i mean they played with keontae ingram and tony jones last they also week. have michael carter they did go out and get michael carter that is uh an interesting note as well i would be interested to see if he's active this week um in his first week typically we've seen teams around the league this year kind of give new players that they've acquired a week I and mean, we saw it with donovan peoples jones we saw it with a couple other guys around the league um yeah, with Cam Akers. So I don't know. There's there's my point here is there's a lot of ambiguity with this Arizona Cardinals team. And to me, the presence of Kyler, what they did last week, the tendencies that they showed us not keeling over and dying for the rest of the season, they're actually going to play football and figure out like what they have moving forward. All of that kind of comes together to me, as opposed to saying, like, I want to bet on the Cardinals. It just makes it makes me want to bet on the Houston Texans more. Um, and I think the most interesting piece to do that, or the clear and away best on paper play here, is Tank Dell. And right now, current projections seems to be like everyone's buying into the Cardinals because of everything we talked about, but not realizing that like we're, there's still some level of uh, ambiguity here um, and definite uncertainties. So if I can get like Tank Dell at 15-ish percent ownership while the field is jumping all over Trey McBride at like 30% and Rondale Moore, who has like a negative A dot, he doesn't, I'm just <laughs> using it to highlight a point here, um, and plays 60% of the offensive snaps, if that's what the field is going to buy into, it's very clear to me, just like play the best play from this game, which is very clearly Tank Dell. 
Yes, Nico Collins is coming back. We expect Noah Brown. There's some uncertainty there, but he missed both practices Wednesday and Thursday. We'll see what they get out of the practice report today. But it currently looks like Noah Brown is going to miss. So we should see Nico Collins, Tank Dell in their standard 85-ish percent route or snap rate. Um, they are suboptimal from a route participation perspective, but we've seen what these guys are doing uh, against zone coverage, which is important because the Cardinals are in zone coverage at a top five rate this season. So is that something that you're interested? Are you uh, looking at Nico Collins? Are you looking at CJ Stroud maybe uh, from this game environment? Tank Dell. What about Dalton Schultz in what has become a difficult matchup for tight ends here? Yeah, absolutely. I think the Houston side is by far the best side to play through here anyways. Uh, yeah. it, you know, we'll see too. I mean, I think Devin Singletary, by the time we get to Sunday, his projected ownership is going to be significantly higher than where it is right now. And it's already um, almost 30%. Yeah. I mean, he, he's going to be like the clear, like, like the clear, like core running back piece because of where he's priced on both sites. I mean, you can keep going back to CJ Stroud. I mean, we're beyond the point of calling CJ Stroud's season, like a successful rookie season. Like he's having a great season for in the context of any quarterback right now, like, uh, third in the NFL in yards or pass attempt. Arizona does not pressure the quarterback at all. They're just, we've talked about it ad nauseum on this show. Like they're a completely passive defense. They're going to play zone coverage. They don't blitz. Uh, they're 28th in pressure rate. Uh, CJ Stroud is second in the NFL in passing touchdowns when he hasn't been pressured this season. Second in the NFL in yards or pass attempt. Um, anytime Tank Dell's been on the field, he's been the lead wide receiver. Um, when yeah. he has been on the field, he has 27.3% of the team targets. The next closest player is at 15.8%. Obviously, that sample includes uh, Nico Collins missing time. But on snaps with Tank Dell and Nico Collins on the field together, Tank Dell also still has a team high 23% of the team targets. Like He has been the lead wide receiver in this offense when he's on the field. Uh, Arizona has definitely been uh, a completely beatable you know, uh, secondary for us to target. So, yeah, I think that the Houston side is by far the best thing to play i don't know like so so it's not so much that like arizona is like a great tight end play like or like great against defending tight ends it's that they're just giving up so many points to running backs and, and wide receivers uh that like i'm scared off of it um if you yeah. do play dalton schultz uh that's kind of like one of the things but the the one thing that note about dalton schultz though that kind of has gone overlooked over like his stretch is the return of larry tunsil uh, w- with Larry Tunsil sidelined, Dalton Schultz was only running a route on 64% of the team dropbacks. But now with Tunsil back on the field, he's not needed so much to be as in line as a blocker or be helped out. And he's running a pass route on 81.2% of the dropbacks with Tunsil on the field. That's a significant gap and gives him just more opportunities. So I don't want to run away from Schultz just because like Arizona is not giving a lot of points to tight ends. It's just like they're just giving up points to, to the, the other positions. Yeah, there's a couple things there. I think there is some schematical significance um, with Arizona's kind of clamps on tight ends. And I think it has to do with how shallow their safeties are playing. I mean, they're kind of clogging the middle of the field. That's why we've seen production on motion and crossing routes because they're heavy zone rates. But as as you see that come through the middle of the field, you see it expand. But they start with a very, very bunched formation over the middle of the field. So we're seeing a lot over the perimeter. we're seeing a lot on deep crossing routes. Um, your seven to nines that are ha- actual have a uh, a cross the field component in that route, they're getting kind of burned in that. So that kind of uh, that's that's Nico Collins and Tank Dell from what we've seen uh, usage wise. Um, something very interesting to me: both Nico Collins and Tank Dell rank top eighteen in the league in fantasy points per route run against zone coverage. With Nico Collins edging out uh, the rookie there, zero point four six fantasy points per route run versus zone. Uh, Tank Dell's right on his heels at zero point four three. So these guys are both successful against zone coverage, and I think they are going to give this Arizona Cardinals defense fits. Um, you also mentioned the return of Laramie Tunzel, and what I saw last week is. Having both George Fant and Laramie Tunzel on the field is allowing Bobby Slowick to run some very interesting formations, personnel groupings, and plays both on the ground and through the air. What really struck out or stuck out to me last week was um, Dalton Schultz lined up in line. He was then, it's called a motion, but he was brought into like this like kind of I don't even know what to call it. It's like not pistol, not shotgun. It was like this weird 
two yards behind where he had lined up uh, in line. So he was like two yards behind the right tackle um, in George Fant. And then he motioned to the other side of the formation. And what he ended up doing is he down blocked out of that motion. And this was a run play. And it was very, very interesting. The run play went to the left off tackle. And what it allowed Laramie Tunzel to do is pull. So you have the tight end coming down to down block the defensive end. And you have Laramie Tunzel, who is a big boy, out in the open field blocking for a Devin Singletary runoff tackle. And that was very, very interesting run usage and concept to me. Um, and kind of goes back to like what we've talked about on the show as far as Bobby Slowick. We were like, yeah, Slowick first the month Shanahan of the season. Tree. Yeah, we were like, yeah, Slowick first month of the season. Second month of the season, we were like, Slowick, what are you doing? You have all this, like you have this insane first down rush rate. What we saw last week is actually they ran the football on first down 22 times. If you add the um, the Hutchinson end around jet sweep type thing they did, that was 23 times on first down. They had 12 first down passes. So a week after we lauded Bobby Slowick for his 19 first down pass attempts, he kind of came back to this, we're going to run the football on first down. The difference is Laramie Tunzel being back and those unique concepts um, were effective. I mean, they had 100, Devin Singletary had 114 first down rush yards last year we don't care if you run it a lot on first down if you're running it well if it's yeah he had <laughs> he had one negative rush play on first down one you look back to when laramie tunzel was hurt you look back to when damian pierce was in there that was a much higher rate in runs that went for three yards or less or negative so the fact that they have the ability now with their bodies their big bodies up front to be this kind of will keep you off balance type run team is okay to me that they had this elevated first down rush rate last week. So uh, there's just a bunch of interesting things that I pulled out of their game last week. Um, I've obviously been paying a lot of attention to Bobby Slowick this season. So watching all their games and, and figuring out kind of what he's doing. But to me, this spot, I think JM put this um, the best, most succinct way possible. Yes, you can run against the Arizona Cardinals. They're around you know, league average, but you can most definitely pass against them. So it'll be interesting to see for me and God, we've spent 23 minutes on this first game. Uh, it'll be interesting for me to see how Bobby Slowick attacks this game. Um, I think CJ Stroud doubles uh, with Nico Collins, who's coming in under 3% ownership uh, and tank Dell are the most interesting to me. Mm -hmm. Um, I think you can bring it back and not worry about the ownership with a guy like Trey McBride, uh, a guy like Marquise Brown. Uh, you can do some interesting things from that base. But that to me, uh, it starts with the Houston side here. I love the passing game because all the ownership is expected to go to Devin Singletary. Uh, but again, this is a guy who has three career games now uh, of over 100 yards. Uh, so take that for what it's worth. I was on Singletary last week. I don't think I will be this week. Uh, any last minute, oh, by the way, is on that game environment. No, no, I think it's okay to take as much time as you did because there's so many individual pieces they're going to have, like, relative, like, interest in this game regardless. Like, so even outside yeah. from, like, a, a game stacking upside stance where we're talking about, like, is this the game you have to have, like, two weeks ago, Bucks versus Texans, just versus the individual pieces. This is where just a lot of the ownership is going to be on this slate, period. Yeah, 100%. Pulling up the uh, game totals here. We obviously have the Miami Dolphins who are expected to score a heap ton of points here against the Raiders. Very, very clear run funnel matchup. We'll talk about that here shortly. Uh, you've got a divisional tilt here between the Bears and the Lions. I want to talk about that one here shortly. Um, and then you're down to this Arizona Cardinals-Houston Texans game we talked about. Chargers-Packers, I don't know if we'll have enough time to get to this one, but there's some interesting components at bare minimum to talk about there. Um, and then really down here to the Seahawks and the Rams, um, who have historically played to yep. more muted game environments. So um, with that, oops, sorry, kick you out there. With that out of the way, which one of those games are you kind of looking at as a secondary option on this slate? Yeah, it's it's interesting because like uh, from like a, a game stance, like obviously I think Miami on their own side is very interesting uh on the raider side we still have like we just there's so much unknown for the antonio pierce experience because they played the giants and the jets the last two weeks 
Yeah. Like, and they know, haven't they've... seen a negative game environment yet. No. Like and yeah. and like we get like we've seen this story from like uh the Antonio Pierce side of it like a lot of times, right? Where you get like the interim head coach takes over for a guy that like literally everyone wanted out of the building, uh, but has like this throwback mentality, right? Like, you know, like wants to run the football, wants to like you know, not modernize the game, but like I don't know if Antonio Pierce necessarily is has like the right proper answers and like the current like NFL meta. Uh, yeah. And we'll see. And we'll see. Like I, I might take that all back, but he's, he didn't put in that spot yet. So, but the fact that he has just literally faced the giants and jets and just said, we're just going to hand it off to Josh Jacobs. We don't care what happens yeah. for play uh, puts me in a, like a, a, puts this game in a fragile spot. I don't know. We did at least see him pump targets to Devonte Adams to, to kind of make that interesting. If we get the game environment, I think, Probably Michael Mayer becomes the most interesting component to me in this game because if they have to throw and where he's priced and considering where like the ownership on this slate's going to go to Trey McBride and maybe Dalton Kincaid, like uh, at his pricing, maybe he becomes interesting. He did have a season high route participation, caught a touchdown. The matchup is good. The Dolphins have not been good against tight ends. So maybe Michael Mayer is like the most intriguing piece if they have to throw here. But everything is on the Dolphins side. They've sc- Look at every Dolphins home game this year. Like they've yeah. scored 31 or more points every single game at home. They have faced two teams this year that allow more rushing yards per game to running backs. And uh, the Raiders are 30th in the NFL in that apartment. In those two games, the Miami Dolphins backfield uh, against the Carolina Panthers combined for 194 yards and four rushing touchdowns or four touchdowns in the Denver Broncos game, which obviously they had 441 yards and yeah. seven touchdowns. But I can't even say with a straight face. because As really- one does. Yeah, as one does. <laughs> I mean, 441 yards here backfield, seven touchdowns. We're getting David uh, Achan back, uh, or Devin Achan back, and, and we have Raheem Mostert with his touchdown equity. And, like, it's crazy about – because typically you would say we have two big guys that they know, like, it's going to be a 50-50 backfield split, which makes it tough, right, like, for DFS gamers. But it's like yeah. we kind of don't care, right? Like, we kind of don't care that it's a 50-50 backfield split. Like, it's really weird to say that out loud because it shouldn't be a thing that exists, but we were talking about like this scheme, this backfield, this matchup, and the per-play upside that both of those running backs have, they still can get there. Yeah, 100%. And I, I bring up Raheem Mostert because it's an interesting talking point here that he's kind of settled into this like 12 to 14 running back opportunity range over the previous three weeks. Um, and that was with A-Chan out. Um, so does HN's return do anything to move the needle in a positive way for that expected ro- workload? Probably not. Um, I mean, yes, they, they played some, uh, some more superior rush defenses in the, the Eagles, the Patriots, and the Chiefs here. Uh, but this is still an interesting discussion point. He's priced at 6900 here. I mean, even HN at 6600 here. And he has a career high of 18 or 22 running back opportunities in that Denver game, but he is likeliest to settle in this kind of 12 to 15 opportunity range as well. Um, When you think about like now where these players are priced at and that expected workload, are you kind of jumping over chairs here to play these two or are you um, kind of looking elsewhere on this slate? No, I mean, I think this, just what this team has shown in these spots, like I, I think you have to be interested in the upside of each of these guys and we'll see like we're projected ownership skates, but I definitely do kind of want to prioritize a chan. I think uh, a little bit more, not that I don't, I still am going to be having most or two. We'll see like yeah. we're owners of those because most has got so much touchdown equity too. I mean, he already yeah. has 13 touchdowns. Uh, you know, it, it can't be ignored. And he's a guy that has multiple touchdowns in games, even with a chan playing. So uh, he can't be ignored. I just think the spot's too good. I also think that where these two guys are priced is what is really interesting about the, this week because, yeah. uh, and you know, a lot of optimals are spitting out Josh Jacobs. I still believe Josh Jacobs is going to be well under-owned versus what the projections show right now. But then you also have Brees Hall at 6,400, who I think is going to be relatively popular. Uh, we have Tony Pollard again at 6,600, who's going to be kind of in that conversation again. People keep yeah. talking themselves into Aaron Jones every week at the, in that price range. So I think where these two guys are priced is probably the most interesting component of the conversation around them and the projected ownership. Uh, 
because of it's going to be more scattershot in that area. It's going to be more di- more diverse. Gamers have more choices to make in that area. And I outright prefer the Miami Dolphins running backs to all of those other options I name. Yeah, there's an interesting case to be made for Tony Pollard this week. Oh, yeah. I know he has not looked good, but uh, he, in that same kind of pricing tier as well. Like you said, it's kind of a little bit loaded here um, in this sub 7K pricing tier, which these guys are in. Um, and because, sorry, I'm trying to not cough, because we don't have projectable value, and I've been using that term a lot this season, um, I define that as value that comes with a median projection, yeah. uh, which is what's going to drive ownership of those kind of sub four, sub five K type uh, players on a slate. We don't have a lot of that again this week. So what does that mean from a theoretical perspective? How are people likely going to build their rosters? It's likely going to be a lot of players from this mid range. And I think running back is where the field is kind of going to go uh, from that sense. Um, so to okay. me, to me, more than even like I agree, like these Miami backs are most interesting from an upside versus salary versus expected ownership perspective. To me, looking at the slate from a macro lens, I'm kind of looking like, is there somewhere else that I can go on the slate at running back that is going to be different from the field? So that's going to transition us directly to another one of those game environments that I said, I don't know if we'll get to, uh, but it's this Chargers and Packers yeah. game. There is, you look at the, how the Chargers handled their game plan last week. 53% of all the opportunities available in the game for the Chargers went to two players, Austin Eckler and Keenan Allen. And we should expect that. That is, that is more signal than noise. 100%. And you look at the supporting cast of the Chargers left behind. Jalen Guyton, who I I poo-pooed on earlier, has never been uh, one to earn targets at a high rate. He's more of a field clearer. So he's valuable to this offense from the sense that he's going to be manipulating safeties. He's going to be running downfield. He's going to be opening things up for Austin Eckler and Keenan Allen. But he's never really going to earn targets. Quentin Johnston, we've seen it. We've been here. We've done this. We've been at this rodeo before, and it has not worked out. Continues to be utilized in ways that don't necessarily align with his skill set. And because of that, he has not been able to earn targets. Um, Is that something that's likely to change? I don't think so. Now you're left with the tight ends, like Gerald Everett, who is starting to show his age. He has not practiced this week as well yet. Um, and Donald Parham, who is almost too big <laughs> to, to play between the twenties because he doesn't really do that nitty gritty tight end stuff very well. He's very, very good at high pointing a football, which is why he has that red zone role, but this is kind of like a, a timeshare at tight end and they have very, very clear and defined roles. I mean, you saw Gerald Everett get hurt last week and they brought in stone smart between the twenties. They didn't even want to play Donald Parham at increased rates between the twenties because he doesn't do those nitty gritty tight end things. Well, he's very, very good at running 10 yards, eight yards down the field and high pointing a football, but he's not very good at doing the other stuff that tight ends are asked to do in the NFL, which is important. So all that comes together. It's like this team, because of the extreme concentration very clearly is going to be is going to pique my interest on any given slate Mm -hmm. for the rest of the season. Now you look at the matchup against the Packers, their heavy zone rates, their multitude of injuries in the secondary. um, The fact that they're just kind of okay against the run. They're not like this terrible run defense that we've kind of gotten used to under Joe Barry. Do you see any upside at cost here for Eckler and Keenan? Yeah, I mean, I so I already was on a show earlier this week, and outright Austin Eckler is my favorite play on this slate uh, for a multitude of reasons. Well, like one, he's just getting more work too than we've seen him get uh, on the ground. Yeah. I mean, the past two games, 82% of the backfield carries, 79% of the backfield carries. And what he's come back to has just been miserable. Like they face nothing but like onslaught rundies so far. Yeah. Like Cowboys, Chiefs, Bears, Jets. Yes, the Bears are a, a great run defense. Yes. Jets like the best. The best. <laughs> Which is crazy. Um, so we're getting him in a spot where he's got arguably his best matchup. I mean, you know, the, I don't want to, you know, I know you're a Packers fan, so I don't want to tread lightly here. Woo. You know, we just want to. 
we just watched the Packers give up 210 rushing yards to the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, so I do definitely think there's some uh, comparative to what he's faced so far. There's an opportunity here for more rushing efficiency than he's been given. And then also we have yeah. historically seen with Austin Eckler when these wide receiving, when this wide receiving unit is banged up to the degree it is right now in Keenan Allen, looks like he's going to play, but is banged up. We've seen him just get utilized in the passing game to a heavier degree, and he already has seven or more targets in his past three games. So, I mean, yep. there's an opportunity here for maybe him to push double-digit targets. We know he also just carries immense touchdown equity in the offense. So I think when everything – when you look at the way this slate lines up and to where I don't think people are going to pay up for him in particularly, I mean, he uh, he's my favorite play on the slate. I 100% concur with that. If you look at Austin Eckler's red zone participation this year, um, he is on a per game basis has the second most valuable red zone role in the entire league behind only the dude, Christian McCaffrey. Um, yes. Like they, the numbers are lower. But the dude missed three games earlier this season. So um, yeah, his red zone participation rate is high. Uh, he's playing a Packers defense that we know is this like prevent type type style heavy zone rates heavy cover two heavy cover three uh they run some cover six they run a ton of nickel and dime um and now they have their top two safeties that are on injured reserve so uh yeah there's a lot of interesting pieces here i think a lot of that kind of comes into i love austin eckler i think i brought up you saw me bring up on screen um his quarterback and justin herbert earlier i don't think you need to include justin herbert because i was exploring or playing keenan allen and austin eckler together without herbert and i think you can do that uh profitably on this week we're kind of in this the state of this slate of raw points and elite ceiling are kind of harder to come by than on a slate over the past two weeks even that we've seen in recent uh weeks so um locking in like I, don't, I mean, we can't just like pencil in Austin Eckler and Keenan Allen combo for 60 points, but they have as good a shot as anybody here. Um, yes, it's going to cost you a pretty penny here because both those guys are priced up. Um, but locking in those points uh, is never a bad thing. Um, I did kind of the same theoretical thought process there uh, last week with the Dallas Cowboys pass offense in just like locking in points in a spot that where it's there could be a lot of uncertainty on the slate. So that's kind of a spot where we can consider doing so. Do you think we need to bring back if you're playing one of these guys here? No, I don't think not necessarily. I mean, I do think there is some intrigue. Like you could talk yourself into like where the Chargers have been vulnerable, like in giving up big pass plays, and you know, eventually some yeah. of these have to be complete. And and some of them are. I mean, like like the, the throw Jordan. Like you see, like why like teams can talk themselves into a guy like Jordan Love. Like the throw he made the, the, on the Jaden Reed touchdown. Yeah, it's like it's a sensational ball, man. Like yeah. it's like you, you can't beat a throw like that. And that, and the Chargers have allowed the most pass plays in the league of thirty or more yards. They're allowing the most receptions to wide receivers on throws twenty or more air yards downfield. So you can talk yourself into some of these guys. It's just we haven't seen like the the immense ceilings here. Like right, even if we get a long touchdown from Christian Watson, if we get the the Romeo Dubs, uh, who's second in the NFL in end zone targets, like he has a yeah. clear role. Uh, but like, can, can one of these guys push like 20, 25 points, I think is more of a question mark, but I, I can see yourself talking yourselves into either of those guys. we got a question here. Hey gents, talking about signals, not noise, triple stack with bring back the Houston, Arizona game. Uh, while we were talking over the last couple of minutes, Noah Brown was ruled out. So I do think that that is 100% viable. I think you can do so in ways that the field is not likely to go to. I think you can go CJ Stroud, Devin Singletary, Nico Collins, and Tank Dell. Um, I think you can drop Singletary and throw in um, Dalton Schultz there. Uh, I think there are some very interesting ways to go there. And then you're not worried about the ownership on the Arizona Cardinals pieces. You can play Trey McBride. You can play Marquise Brown. You can play any of those guys uh, because you're different at that point. So, yes, good question. I 100% think that is viable. Um, some of these other spots, we talked about Miami. We talked about the Packers. Um, let's talk about the Chicago and Detroit game. Cause it carries a high total. I think we got to here. Um, to me, the tendencies of the Detroit Lions, what we've seen from this team now that they're back to relatively full strength, um, what we've seen 
kind of aligns poorly with what we expect or how we expect the Chicago Bears to behave. This is a team where they are they are able and willing to alter their game plan. And this goes back to like the different phases of an NFL football game, like we've talked about previously this year, where it's like your game plan is how you handle the first like quarter and a half. The second half of the first of the second quarter into the end of the third quarter is like phase two of an NFL game. And that's where coordinators and head coaches are making their adjustments. They are looking at what has transpired uh, and they're adjusting and trying to adapt. And that is more like the game management phase. Then you get in the fourth quarter and it's like all bets are off and we're going to go try and win a football game. Uh, we have no idea uh, how that's going to happen, but it, it could get crazy. And that's kind of like the three phases. When we look at like phase one of the Detroit Lions this season, they have been willing to adapt their offensive game plan to their opponent. That's very interesting because they are now one of the most pass funnel defenses in the league. So are we going to see a higher emphasis on passing attempts to Jameer Gibbs? to Amon Ross St. Brown, who's just an animal. You mentioned it last week, and he just continues to do it. 100 yards or a touchdown in every single game played. He's only paired them together three times this season, which is how he's going to unlock that ceiling. Uh, but this is a dude who has been the most consistent player in the entire league from a fantasy football perspective. I mean, maybe Josh Allen is up there as well until last week. Uh, he was at least. Um, anyway, Amon Ross St. Brown is the truth. He's the dude. Um, and then you look at Sam Laporta. And an area of the field that the Chicago Bears have struggled to defend is against the tight end. So there's definite upside there. When you flip it and reverse it now with Justin Fields back in action, I mean, we very clearly we have DJ Moore, who has gone over 100 yards receiving in three of five fully healthy games from Justin Fields. Is he the clear in a way like bring back from this spot? Is he how you're looking to attack this? Yeah, I think so. I think that when this game is interesting from a, a couple avenues. I mean, because when we saw Justin Fields on the field, uh, he, every five, all five of the games that he completed in full went over the game total uh, yeah. in that era, in the era of unders. Um, and some of that was through his own play being terrible, and some was it being great. Like it was, a, it was, a, it was a wide mix of how we got there through that. But you know, this this Lions team, I can't quite put my finger on like this defense. I know they're better than they were last year, but they've still been such so opponent driven so far in terms of like counting stats, like which is what we care about in DFS. I yeah. mean, against Lamar Jackson, against Patrick Mahomes, against Justin Herbert, against Geno Smith, like those all of those teams got there. And then against Baker Mayfield, against Bryce Young, against Jordan Love, against Jimmy Garoppolo, like well, and there was some garbage time for Bryce Young, but like all of those yeah. quarterbacks, like they only had four passing touchdowns to those guys, all of those guys in those games. So it, it, it's it's interesting dynamic to like kind of play out here, like what wins out. And then defensively, the Bears, like we, we hinted at, they've been great against the run. The Lions have also been great against the run. Where the Bears have struggled, like you said, though, is guarding running backs and tight ends out of the backfield or guarding tight, uh, running backs out of the backfield and guarding tight ends. And it's interesting because they, they paid their money was allocated this season to, you know, uh, to, to linebackers that yeah. were supposed to be great in coverage. Uh, and that hasn't been like, it's like been their weakness this season. Uh, so I actually, I'm looking at it through like a, a Gibbs Laporta lens as yeah. well as you. Uh, Amon Ra, obviously you can always play Amon Ra. I'm not saying you can't play him, but like the Bears only had one wide receiver to even reach 70 yards in a game this season. Like yeah. it's they're they're playing cover two at the second highest rate in the NFL. Uh, Amon Ross St. Brown is averaging it's a very small sample, but he's averaging less than a yard per out run against cover two this season. Um, yeah, so dominated like the, cover three. So like does that does that lower his ceiling? Is it one of these games where I'm saying Amon Ra maybe has either the like you said either has the touchdown or he has the hundred yards or maybe he has like the the eight for seventy game with a touchdown right? And like yeah. I don't see like the full on what we saw last week. Like when I was really bullish on him potentially flirting with the 30 PPR points, I think it's more of like a solid Amon Ra game this week than a lid lifting Amon Ra St. Brown game this week. And that makes me want to look at like, I think Laporta is probably the most interesting individual piece on the Lions side, uh, just because of where like the Bears are vulnerable, where his pricing is. We know Trey McBride's going to be ultra popular on the slate. Yeah. Uh, so he's the guy I look at and I think you can just do like isolated minis. I think like Laporta plus DJ Moore could be relatively interesting just as isolated minis and not fully onslaughting this game. Um, 
because we saw DJ Moore when Justin Fields played, his usage versus Tyson Bajan due to the style of quarterbacks they uh, have just like was significantly reduced. And you know, he only played a small sample of Justin Fields. Maybe that's something that would have course corrected, but 31% deep target rate with Justin Fields uh, under center versus a 14.3% deep target rate with Tyson Bajan on the field. Like we're just going to get access to more targets that have upside uh, to, to get there for fantasy. Yeah, yeah, 100%. I'm kind of in uh, lockstep with you here. Um, I think that I am most interested in Sam Laporta, DJ Moore. I think they can be played together profitably. Um, I think Jameer Gibbs is very interesting in line with that whole discussion that we had about the state of the running back position this week. Um, but yeah, I think I think DJ Moore can be played by himself as well. Um, there is a, a valid scenario or outcome, and we I was just pulling up Jared Goff here. Um, where, I mean, this, this offense, the lions now are at full strength and they are less concentrated outside of like Amon Ross St. Brown, who has that bankable and projectable volume. There is a case to be made like, Hey, what if the lions put up four touchdowns on, uh, on the bears here and they all go to different players and Amon Ra isn't going over hundred yards. Ooh, I caught it. Um, so yeah, like there's an interesting case to be made that like a guy like DJ Moore, who is, we know explosive, we know he carries that upside here with Justin Fields could be one of the only usable pieces from the spot. So I think he can be played alone, um, at a plus EV fashion. And I think that probably I'm most interested in that Sam Laporta and DJ Moore stack here. Um, anything else from this one? No, no. I mean, yeah, it, it, it's one of the ones that you say like, yeah, this one could get there. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. And I think the final game that we maybe got it was to... in Detroit too. We'd feel a lot better. Or, or yeah. it is in Detroit. I'm it sorry, is in it is Detroit. Detroit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. That's why we feel better about it, though. It being in Detroit. Yeah, but even then, like um, Jared Goff's splits road home road are, are much more muted this year than they were. Yeah, I, and, and like that stuff year. is always yeah more. They're circum circumstantially driven, right? I and mean, we kind of talked about it last week with Goff, you know, going on the technical road game, but indoors yeah. basically you know, as much of a home game he could have right like playing in that stadium his whole career yeah 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 well, sure. i guess they were outdoors he was only there for what two years in that stadium in sofi yeah yeah because it was built while he was there right yeah yeah so i mean it's anyway. one of those things though. that's all circus all that stuff circumstantial we've seen with amari yeah. too right like the amari cooper's his his home road stuff's been way, way more muted this year too as well yeah, and that it, he was like the poster child of of <laughs> the the home road split slappies. Uh, you can't anyway, play Amari Cooper on grass. <laughs> yeah, 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 we digress. Um, getting back to the last game that we kind of mentioned there with uh, where I think the field is going to go. Here is the Seattle and the Rams. Um, to me, these guys have consistently, and we have a fairly large sample to being divisional opponents, have fairly consistently played to a kind of struggle, a divisional struggle fest here um, between these two spots. Um, that said, there is something to be said about the fact that the Seattle Seahawks are in cover two at an extreme rate. There is something to be said about Puka Nakua's numbers against cover two and more uh, broadly zone coverages this season. And we saw him start the season 34% targets per route run against zone coverage without Cooper Cup. That has dropped all the way down to 32% with Cooper Cup. So he's still like seeing targets at an elite rate against zone coverages this season. Is he a guy kind of in this same like nebulous pricing range that you're interested in this week? I, I am for the splits and like the historical, like Sean McVay has had answers for this, this defense, like consistent, even going back to the last year with John Wolford and Baker Mayfield starting in those yeah, games, yeah. like they've been good in these games. I, I think they've covered in six straight against the Seahawks, but I, I do have a little bit of pause just given Seattle at full strength and how they've been with both Reek Woolen and Devin Witherspoon on the field. Like they have been yeah. a kind of a matchup I've been, earmarking every week for wide receivers where I'm like, Ooh, kind of, kind of going to ding these guys a little bit. Yeah. And so that, like, so we have two pulling elements in there. Like where obviously Puka's like his zone splits are so good. And obviously if he's going to be low owned, like definitely mix him into some large field stuff. But I do, this is a defense I respect from like a limiting wide receiver production stance. So, and, and especially yeah. with both of those guys on the field. So 
I, I do question how much upside there is is there. Uh, like you, I want to talk myself into the pieces in this game, but like I just keep finding things that kind of pull away from it, right? Like yeah, I mean, same. You, you know, Geno Smith got there last week, but it was like kind of in a weird way. Like yeah, it was all, and like Diddy. <laughs> yeah, it was all yak. It was all yak stuff, which is, it hasn't been his game. Uh, like this season, it felt like more luck boxy, and everyone got there. It seemed to be like a chalk quarterback on the slate. Yeah, the um, thing with Gino is like it's very, very difficult for him to bring someone with him. It's very, very yeah. difficult for him. I mean, and like we've seen it like historically with DK Metcalf. I mean, he has a very, very low 30 plus point fantasy outing uh hit rate um while he's been with the Seahawks. Tyler yeah. Lockett, same thing. And he is has had numerous multiple touchdown games. And even then it's hard for him to go over 30 fantasy points. So it's like yeah, like Gino, that's why I said, like, did he get there last week? It's like, Gino did. Who came yep. with him? Like, it's very, very difficult to make these Gino stacks uh, because it's very unlikely for one of these guys to come with him. Um, and that's kind of a nod now to the fact that now you introduce JSN to that equation. And it's even less likely that one of those guys is going to be GPP viable with Gino. Yeah, and, and you look at the inverse too. We talked about like the Puka like zone splits. I mean, DK Metcalf has the inverse on the opposite end. Like he's yeah. getting all of his targets against man coverage and none against zone coverage. Uh, he's a forty percent target rate per route run against man coverage. Only seventeen point six percent against zone coverage. Like that's a yeah seismic difference. Uh, there's been like maybe more signal for Lockett stuff, but like you said, Lockett's like one of these guys that like is perpetually underrated from like a season long fantasy value stance, but like yeah. from a DFS perspective, like we don't like, we get like a lot of those 90 and a touchdown games where he's like, he he can maybe be like a two X value guy, like a three X guy, but he never like really drops like these hammer, like these games where you're just like, man, I needed Tyler Lockett this week. Yeah, uh, he's exactly. Few of those. So it is tough. And like, and like you said, I don't expect this game invite, like this game in general to be like this ultra like high scoring game either just given what we've seen out of both of these offenses this season uh, and given like what we've uh, like the respect, like I kind of put on the Seattle pass defense. Yeah. Yeah. All valid. And how I'm seeing that spot as well. The last spot I think we must talk about, and this is kind of in keeping with the theme of this show, searching for ceiling. I'll throw it up on the screen now is this San Francisco 49ers Buccaneers game. Um, I think it's, we can't, how do I want to phrase this? We can't understate how good this 49ers team is with Brock Purdy under center and a full supporting cast. So that's the important distinction. We saw this team struggle for three games. They scored 17 points for three games straight. And that was after scoring 30 plus points in 10 of 11 Brock Purdy regular season starts. Was there a signal in there? And I would say 100% there was. We talked about it last week, and it was the fact that Debo Samuel was out for those three games. He is that pre-snap motion guy. He is that queen chess piece that, that Kyle Shanahan can kind of move around the formation, that he can keep teams honest with by bringing him into the backfield, by giving him jet sweeps, by making defenses have to account for he and Christian McCaffrey out of the backfield. And Oh, by the way, they'll send him on these streaking routes across the field that can gash you up the middle. And we know his yak ability They're They're getting him quick outs on the outside as well uh, with pulling tackles that are even athletic enough to get outside. They have George Kittle that can get outside and throw downfield blocks on these quick screens. So Debo Samuel's, Importance to this offense, I think, should not be understated. Now, you look at this Tampa Bay team that just filters ad nauseum volume to the air. And it's like we might see a floor of 32, maybe 32, 34 pass attempts for old Brock Purdy here. Um, and that has me extremely interested. Brandon Ayuk is the very clear on paper top option. Um, but are you seeing anything beyond this? Do you think we can go like Brock Purdy doubles here? Is that viable on the slate? I, I'm i going to pitch something to you that uh, I tried to pitch on another show, but it, oh, I cool. mean, it, it, it's, 
is Brock Purdy like legit like the the one non-mobile quarterback that actually can be played naked, especially this with his pricing? Like it's it, very interesting. And I have had those very, very dangerous thoughts myself. <laughs> those, like in you're in your dark place in your own mind. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I have had those thoughts. I think, and we saw it last week where they succeeded. He almost threw for 300 yards and three, which would have made him highly GPP viable. Um, I played Brock Purdy doubles last week. I, I ran two. I, I ran two 555 uh, millimaker lineups. One was the Dak double, and one was the Brock Purdy double. Um, I had. Uh, Brock Purdy with CMC and Debo. And it was like, okay, Debo's only score was on the ground and CMC didn't score for the first time in 18 weeks. Uh, that was awesome. <laughs> but the fact that it was so spread out, three different guys caught, caught touchdowns. I think that is viable. Um, I think that that should be reserved for the extremes. And what I mean by the extremes is I think it's viable in cash and I think it's viable in MME. I think it's less viable in the single entry three max small yeah. field GPP type stuff. Um, just analyzing that situation on the fly with that question. Um, but I am interested back to this week. I'm very interested in Brock Purdy singles. I'm very interested in Brock Purdy doubles. I think you can build some stuff uh, very, very interestingly. Uh, yeah, that's that's a word for sure. Um, but I mean, he's priced below. He's so far priced below Matthew Stafford. He's priced below Geno Smith. He's priced yeah. below Trevor Lawrence. Like, I don't, someone has to make it make sense to me. Exactly. And if this is like, are we going to get a streak where CMC doesn't score touchdowns? That would be like mind blown, dude. Uh, but if there's an opponent to do it, this could be it, right? I mean, yep. with Vita Vea healthy, this Buccaneers rush defense, we've talked about it so much. He is kind of why and schematically how he fits into their defensive scheme is why this team faces such a high pass rate over expectation. So, I mean, if you're talking about Brock Purdy, who has like a mean of like 28 pass attempts this year, could this be a game where we're seeing this like 34, 35, 37 pass attempt spot? I think if ever it's going to happen, it would be this spot. So I'm super interested. Um, one interesting discussion is I have all the skill position players here. It is highly unlikely that both Brandon Ayuk and Debo Samuel right. hit together. Typically, what we're seeing is it's one or the other, and then potentially George Kittle as well. So that is an interesting consideration for this slate. Um, I think you're very, very fine running Brock Purdy, Brandon Ayuk. I think you're very, very fine adding in George Kittle to that. Um, something like Ayuk breaks a long one, hits 100 yards, and then George Kittle catches two. Um, there's three touchdowns, and if Brock Purdy is hitting three and George Kittle and Brandon Ayuk are kind of these downfield plus yak type guys, whereas Debo Samuel is more like short area plus yak type guy in this offense. Um, so if you're searching for ceiling from this spot, I think this is a very, very interesting way to do it. I don't think you need bringbacks. I think you can play that um, even you're just basically saying I'm betting on the San Francisco 49ers to hit 30 points and then just variants take me to these guys <laughs> type thing uh yeah it's, he's just, it's just, yeah it's just interesting he's one of these guys that because if he's if this offense is operating the way it's supposed to be operating he hurts his own volume because of how efficient it is like you know you yes. can't get the full run out of passing attempts because the pass attempts that they're having are gaining 11 and a half yards <laughs> he's yeah. complete and he's completed over 70 percent of his passes in three straight games like even through like that stretch where everyone was questioning they just had the turnovers uh mixed in so like he he hurts himself like the the relationship between uh you know efficiency and value is like the brock purdy conversation because uh, you look at these wide receivers, they've combined for in PPR, they've got four weeks where they've even scored 20 or more points. And it's two games for IU, two games for Debo. Uh, and we've had one, two of those, two of those four with one of the other guys off the field. The Giants game that Debo got there, Ayuk didn't play. And then the Cardinals game yeah. that Ayuk got there, Debo dressed, but he had no targets. He had not a target in the game. So like you know so like these guys even getting there when both guys are in the field is hard and Ayuk's pricing always makes it hard right like there's been no like hall pass him and Jalen Waddle like neither site is like yeah. giving you a hall pass on like they're like yeah. we could at least know where like 
the pricing can go on some guys, but even when these guys underperform, they stay like locked on both sites, like over 7k. Uh, yeah. It makes it hard for the, like to, to pay for those. Cause he, you look at last week, you know, I, I use a guy I was invested in last week and he, he scores the touchdown and an egregious throw by Brock Purdy. Cause Brock Purdy is a big vibes quarterback. What was uh, that dude? That was <laughs> pure vibes. <laughs> absolutely egregious play, especially in the opening drive of the game to like, yeah. I see two guys down there. One of them's got to catch this, right? But, uh, you know, he gets the touchdown. But, like, it's so hard for him to, like, have these spike weeks because, like, when this offense is clicking, like, none of these guys get, like, 12 targets. They never get 14 targets. And it makes it so hard. Uh, That's why it's, like, he's, like, the one guy. And it's, like, it isn't just pairing him with Christian McCaffrey and you say, hey, this team's going to score 30 to 35 points. Do I just try to get all the touchdowns that way? That's what I was trying to do last week, and I failed. <laughs> mm-hmm. But yeah, I think that's viable. Um, that discussion about efficiency, and also going back to something you said about Dalton Schultz and Laramie Tunzel, the presence of Trent Williams in this offense is a big boost to George Kittle. Trent Williams came back two weeks ago, and all George Kittle has done in that time frame is put up what he put up 26.9 and then 23.6 fantasy points. Yeah. The volume isn't going to be there. Yeah. He got there on the back of this weird broken play long touchdown last week. Uh, but we want this man running routes. And if he is running routes in a potential spot where I mean, bring that all together is like, how is he running routes? It's with Trent Williams on the field and in a pass funnel matchup. And that's kind of what we get this week. So super interested in George Kittle again, Super interested in Brock Purdy. We are over time, but I'm just going to keep gushing about this spot because I think this is kind of one of the premier like searching for ceiling hidden upside type spots. Um, if the 49ers are going to score 30 plus, somebody's scoring the touchdowns and it's less likely than a standard spot to be Christian McCaffrey. Uh, we'll just leave it at that. Yep. I think that's the best way to put it. Uh, any closing remarks on that spot, man? No, no, that, that, that's great, man. I love it. I think we covered, I mean, covered most of the ground here. I yeah, did. I think we did some work. We did some quick work, too, after spending 23 minutes on that first game. But uh, it had to be done, guys. Stick with us, man. Um, there were some questions that we didn't get to. I am so sorry. Uh, reach out on Twitter. Uh, I'll try and get those answered. Um, and we'll do it that way because we are out of time. You know the drill. This was Searching for Ceiling, presented by One Week Season and Sharp Football Analysis. He's Rich. I'm Hilo. You know where to find us. We'll see you guys next week. One week season.